Hello, listeners. It is the Media Beat. Uh, I hope you're expecting that. You've pressed the right button on the podcast uh, um, broadcasting medium of your choice. Uh, if not, why not have a listen anyway? See if you like it. We're on our 36th episode now, and we talk about all things media with two of the most uh, um, the most educated uh, names in the game, and they are starting with Maureen. Maureen Kerr is a partner and she leads the media practice globally for Arthur D. Little, the world's oldest management consulting company for whom I work as well. So they're very diverse in terms of, um, well, certainly ability. Uh, And uh, her friend and my friend, Claire Tavernier, who is a media commentator, but she's also walked the walk in the corridors of media power in various high profile media jobs. She still keeps a hand in with consultancy and occasionally will take up... um, a project in the media world. Uh, both uh, cover all things media brilliantly, and uh, it's my pleasure for the 36th time to welcome you both to the podcast. Hello, Oliver. Thank you very much, Oliver, and hello. Hello, indeed. And for those uh, watching on YouTube, I don't know how you're doing it because we're not on YouTube, but uh, everyone's <laughs> looking very fresh and very happy, and Maureen is a bit demob happy because she's off on holiday. But one more job to do before she does that, uh, and that is to uh, enlighten the listeners as to what's going on in media. And we are having one of our famous deep dives uh, today, and today we are going to be looking at Netflix. Uh, Usual format, we'll have um, a, a sort of description beyond the headline with regards what Netflix is, what it does, history, etc. And then we'll have some comments on, uh, on on where they're going, performance and all sorts of things to do with the Star Trek franchise and, and Lasseter and uh, animation unit and everything. So um, I think, uh, Claire, I think you're, you're starting on the deep dive. Um, so uh, over to you. We all know Netflix. Most of us love Netflix, but uh, tell us a little bit more. Thank you, Oliver. Well, we're deep diving today on on Netflix today. We were not going to go through the history. They have just published their what we call the Q3 results, which means they've they've their results for the first three quarters of their financial year. And there's been a lot of chatter about it because they're good results. And you say we all love Netflix, and most users like Netflix. I don't know if they love it, but they certainly like it. But the shareholders have been slightly unhappy with Netflix recently because the financials weren't quite stacking up. And this time, the the financials are looking better. Now, it, that's that was the headline, and they suddenly made the most of this headline, and the and the stock price reacted positively to that headline. If you start looking at the details of it, of course, it's a little bit more complicated, and it's a mixed picture, and I think that's what we're going to do in this deep dive. So I'll start a little bit, and then I'm sure Maureen will have lots of uh, comments and thoughts about the detailed financials. I'm going to talk a little bit about the financials. And then, as you mentioned, I'm going to talk a little bit as, as well about the update to their content strategy, because they also discussed that during their earnings call. So yes, good results. The revenue is going up. Now, that's you. They say that's due to two things, the password crackdown. So they have been apparently uh, cracking down a lot on password sharing and then selling cheaper subscriptions to those people that they that they are cussing off from their password sharing and they are saying that's that's pushing up the subscriber numbers and indeed they have gained a lot of subscribers this term 
and they have raised their prices. We have talked about this. However, the price hikes have actually not really come through because they've really just happened. And so they're not really, they're not, they're not showing up so much in these results. That's probably the reason why, despite the fact that the revenues are up, the profit is not increasing. Or certainly the gross margin is not increasing as much. And in fact, this magical number called ARPU or in, um, in Netflix's case, our ARM, which is average revenue per member, is flat to decreasing. Now, ARM ARPU is a very important number for streamers because that's the, you know, that's the, the amount of revenues every new subscriber brings. And one of the key challenges for Netflix, the reason they're raising their prices, is that they need that ARPU to go up. It's not really going up yet, probably because they're, yes, bringing on new customers on on site, but mostly on the ad. Uh, the ad supported here, which has not had a price hike. Now, the bottom line is looking relatively healthy, but that's a little bit misleading because one of the reasons the bottom line is looking healthy is that they haven't been able to invest in content as much as they thought they would. You will remember that a year ago we talked about Netflix investing upwards of $20 billion this year on content. Well, actually, they're only, they've only spent 13 It's not bad, but it's much lower. And that's because of the strikes we've covered a lot. And now they're aiming for 17 billion next year. So that's a lot less content investment than they have been doing. And that's obviously uh, impacting positively their their bottom line. So that's that's where we are. Um, The thing where we didn't get any data was ads. What we know is about 30% of the new subscribers are taking the ad plan when it's offered. It's not offered in all markets. What we don't know is how much money they make from it. All we know is that it would not be material to the Netflix business in 2023, which to me sounds like it's tiny, tiny, tiny. So will it grow? They're introducing uh, a number of new uh, formats. They want to do sponsorship. They want to, you know, do more uh, in in more types of ads. Uh, they've said that the new management of the ad business, we talked about this last time, that they've changed the management, is really keep kicking in and making a big difference. We shall see. Uh, they they may have, they made a very clear statement that they will refuse what the actors are asking. Remember, the actors are still on strike at Hollywood, and the actors are asking a per subscriber, Levy, 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 uh, to for to the streamers. They're asking that. The streamers that the he the, the Netflix management said this was an absolute no no this was not on the table they would not go there and then they talked about content and on content they reaffirmed that they weren't going to do live sports we've talked about the streamers moving into live sports Netflix is interested in the documentary documentaries the sports documentaries but they don't want or certainly they've said here they don't want to go into live sports the big big news was that Skydance which is uh, John Lasseter's animation studio, which had a mega deal with Apple, is moving to Netflix. And they made a huge song and dance about it. And indeed, our um, own kids expert, Emily Hogan, who you will remember was on the podcast, our very first guest, I said that this was seismic news in the animation world because John Lasseter is obviously a very big name. Now, she also made the point that uh, John Lasseter, who used to work for Disney and Pixar, etc., is used to the big machine that Disney can provide uh, in terms of, you know, the consumer products, the the online, the mobile games, etc. And uh, Netflix not quite there yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that partnership evolves. 
but certainly big news on that front. In parallel, and not really mentioned during the earnings call, but I think a trend that's really interesting, Netflix is starting to relicense a lot of content. To the, he's, he's restarting to license content. So if you remember, Netflix started with a lot of licensed content. And by this, I mean old content that just ended up on Netflix, but had been seen on TV before. And then they said, no, 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 we're going to produce everything. And also all the studios said, we're not going to license content to Netflix anymore. And now both sides are saying, actually, uh, the studios are finding that it might not be a bad idea to send some content to Netflix because that's money. And Netflix is starting to realize that spending all that money on original content is it's very hard because the production costs are very, very high, but also it's very expensive to promote because new content is much harder to cut, to have cut through than, than content that people are very familiar with. So we're seeing a lot of new um, interesting licensing deals and that, that, had, that was something that had sort of stopped or slowed down quite dramatically for a few years and that's picking up. So I think that's all my news on Netflix, um, a whirlwind tour of, of their earnings call and a few other headlines. But Maureen, what did you think? Oh, um, so, I mean, it's, again, a whirlwind. I'm always, <laughs> it's, it's always difficult to follow you, Claire. It really is very difficult. But I, I, I just want to touch on, I just want to touch on one thing. And that is exactly reading between the lines of their discussions and their um and the, 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 what they've been saying or not saying, as the case may be, or saying um, around these uh, analyst calls, and that is around the ad, um, the ad side. So, I mean, we all know that they're probably in their what coming up to second year uh, of, um, or they will be going into their second year of of what I'm going to call growing pains of what it really is like to put in place um, an ad-funded business model. It's so challenging. Um, I don't think we're getting any sense that they're going to, let's say, pull out or drop Microsoft. So that partnership, I think, is going to stand uh, stand up and stands, you know, stand uh, well there in positioning. Um, I think what they will do, though, and we're starting to see this is clearly complement that relationship. Um, I understand that they're hiring 10 plus folks to their ad sales team. So, so, and I think what they're trying to do and the priority here is to focus on that ad membership. And, and, I, and, I, and I think the advertisers are, are looking quite carefully as to how they would do that. And the people I've spoken to uh, this week have said uh, on the ad side that they like what their Netflix is doing around carriage deals or Claire, very much what you're talking about is is really considering again the licensing of content, um, and really that will put them in a more agile um, position to select uh, the types of programming that, that they know they'll be able to sell ad inventory against. So I think I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, I was surprised when I saw some, as as we all know, the numbers are low. However, as you pointed out, Claire. 30% of the new subscribers in selective markets are taking up their ad tier um, product offering. And in their minds, they do not want to see um, the conversion from their subscription fees to an ad tier. Really, they don't want to see that if they're trying to sort of attract these ad funded new subscribers. Um, that said, they will start to see in markets where people are price sensitive, 
um, people taking on that lower tier um, uh, subscription package. And so they retain them, um, but actually they'll just put them on a lower a lower paid package. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting. So I think they're I think they're being cautious and clever, but I think they're being very smart around the different types of content deals. So they are looking at, and I think I picked up, uh, you know, cable operators. I think they're going to start to do more bundling, um, and that's going to be interesting. But they'll only do the bundling with the ad tier, ad funded subscription package. So again, that's that's going to be a smart proposition that I think. Um, the city or the analysts will really see as a positive a positive mood, including their shareholders. And then as a, uh, the other thing is, I think the um, the advertising community uh, believe that if they get the content strategy right and well honed, the numbers will start to tick up. And so I think with a, a, a larger ad sales team to augment and complement the Microsoft more technical team, um, I think that's going to be a really strong proposition. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't add anything else to your very comprehensive analysis uh, there, um, Claire, but I think on the on the ad side, the ad membership side, this is going to be something that we should watch and can watch. And I think, you know, the fact that they're not going to ditch Microsoft at any, any, any point soon, um, I, I think they're going to be really clever about that ad, ad proposition and their really hone in on their ad tier, ad funded tier subscription package. So that's my penny's worth uh, to add to that. Um, this is a comprehensive analysis. I completely agree with you. And I think uh, the, the other thing that obviously the Q3 results are not showing, and you mentioned, is the impact of the price hike. So I think they will see churn, maybe not complete churn, but churn towards the lower the lower tiers. So it's going to become more and more important for them to make sure that that lower tier monetizes as well as the higher tier uh, subscription packages, because they're going to see, I mean, the, between the cost of living crisis and the fact that everybody's raising the subscription prices, people are going to start churning out of the higher tier, I think, in significant numbers. And that that wouldn't have shown in the Q3 numbers because they, they that would have been before the price hike really hit. I agree. And, and one other thing as well is the CPMs, which is really interesting. Do you remember, I mean, it, it seemed like forever ago when they were talking about 65, you know, upwards of, you know, 65 plus CPMs. Yeah, 80, and I now, think, at some point. People were 80, because I, I, I was trying to think, yeah. it must have been even 80, you know. And yeah. then we were, we were taking note over the summer, there's been this race to get in early, get in early and secure 2024 for 40 pounds, you know, yeah. uh, per CPM. And actually, um, if you get in even earlier, 35, you know, so, I mean, it's crazy. That's like 50% of what they were sort of putting out as their starting place. Uh, that was probably, you know, what, August, September of last year. And now a year, a year in, they're talking about, you know, 35, 40 pounds. Yeah, I mean, those thing. numbers were crazy. Nobody ever thought I mean, they were. Nobody ever thought that. Numbers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although they, that, they that may said, have it. <laughs> exactly, although that said, Amazon is really going hell for leather, saying mm -hmm. for 2024, I only want the big spenders coming in at the upfronts and securing inventory, and you, I want, I want you to give me your, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundred million, you know against the inventory. So that's that's going to be crazy to see that. I can't wait to see the uh, 
the results of that, um, if indeed. We should actually, maybe next time, we should do a deep dive on the Amazon subscription model because I think it's so interesting the way they have their basic subscription, which is one of the few that's not increasing in price. And then they have those additional levels, including some ad-funded ones and some paid ones. And I think it's a very clever, slightly more complex bundling bundling strategy, which will may or may not work we'll see we have to move on we have not time for two deep dives one deep dive is enough but that one sounds fascinating i, I love this conversation i love the fact that it's um highly complex but data driven it makes me think i wonder what kind of army of data scientists they have uh, behind all these numbers <laughs> uh, also i love the way maureen goes well i can't really add to that and then she adds five or six really pertinent points <laughs> I think that's very nice, very English, very modest. It's like, well, that, that was perfection. But let me just let me just gild it slightly. Uh, brilliant. Exactly. Let me add uh, to perfection. You know, as, as a, a great double act. Like, absolute classic deep dive. Thank you very much indeed. So um, we need to move on. Oh, and straight away. Gosh, there's quite a lot going on. Uh, so we better get in the news. <laughs> Okay, the first story we have, and I'm trying to get more and more like a news anchor uh, every week just for a laugh. Uh, And uh, this just in, um, I like to say, you know, phrases like that to make it sound interesting. And we have a live reporter down there right now we go over to, uh, etc, etc. Anyhow, uh, I'll try and calm down. So News Corps, yes, um, we've talked to our activist shareholders before, but there is more to say that story with uh, Maureen Kerr. Yeah, uh, Oliver, I almost put my sort of, you know, um, green shield on and uh, and the microphone, um, but uh, but I uh, I don't have the I don't have the props. But indeed, we've been covering and looking at the activist uh, community, and, and that was probably um, underscored very recently by now by by Nelson Peltz, um, who basically uh, was able to uh, get a significant share of Disney and is commanding. Um, uh, seat at the, uh, the, the the Disney board um, to vent his views and strategic anxieties about Disney, um, and then lo and behold, we are actually in season four um, conferences. And um, um, last week we uh, we witnessed the um, active passive. Uh, uh, summit for activists. They have their own uh, summit, which is hilarious in New York City. Um, and and that and that and and during that during that uh, seminar, the keynotes and the, the key points of discussion were around News Corps. Um, and there's there's a whole bunch of people. I wouldn't call it sort of activist activist, but there's a lot of people who are just sort of shouting and suggesting and advising News Corps. Um, and its new um, executive board um, under the stewardship of uh, Lachlan, uh, that they should consider maybe breaking it up and selling it. And I mean, Claire and I already sort of discussed that several weeks ago, more in a sort of strategic view to say, well, actually, you know, with Lachlan, he might well, you know, split it up so he can split the proceeds uh, across his uh, his family of, uh, of siblings. Um, so so the, the activists are back, you know, in town, and they are being um, they are being vocal, and News Corps, as everyone's been running a slide rule over it to say, the sum of the parts of valuation is greater than the whole, and actually the share price should be significantly higher, uh, probably about fifty percent higher than what it is. And you tend to get that sort of um, that sort of um, activism when you have uh, um, equities that are are lower. 
than than the peak at which they came in and acquired them and then they make a lot of noise and they want a lot of action and then it hopefully slightly sort of rises or indeed they can break up the business in which case they get their uh, return on equity so a lot of noise a lot of noise uh, around um activism and activists in in times when the stock market is lower or, or we're in sort of more bear markets and this could constitute as a bear market hmm. so uh, but i will and back, course, back, back to the back to the anchor back to the anchor or even back, back to the studio to <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course there it was already uh active shareholders who prevented news corp's merger with fox a few years ago where the, you know rupert and lachlan rupert at the time mostly trying to merge the two the two sides of his business and shareholders said no <laughs> That doesn't make any sense to us. And he had to back down. But the timing of this is very interesting because obviously it's just very, very quickly after uh, the, the, this, the succession of power. I mean, it feels very succession-like, again, dissolving. It's very dramatic. It may well have been in the works for months beforehand, but the timing is interesting. Yeah, great. Um, I love that. I love the idea of activists. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you very much, uh, Maureen. Um, I mean, activists make it sound like they're some sort of crusaders. Yeah. These guys yeah. are, you know, represent the shareholders. They are trying to get richer. It's, yeah. yeah, that's true. You know, they, the, they are not necessarily right. not operating heroic. for the good of the people. Not yeah. I think that word is slightly misleading. I mean, you know, they're looking to create the most possible value for shareholders, including Adjutants. small shareholders. But often there's yeah, a difference. Yeah, big but Claire, there's, there's a difference. There's there's the, the Claire, there's a difference. There's 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 like existing sort of equity shareholders or shareholders that um, have a seat at the table uh, over a certain limit of you know percentage share. Um, and they, you know, support the chairman. Yeah, sorry, they support certain decisions. Um, and then there are uh, companies that specifically buy shares, knowing that that will increase in value yeah. or not, and they're only in for short term. And then they they just they just exit. You know, so we should have a session on this at one yeah. time. But there is definitely an activist yeah. community which is sort of separate sort of separate from just general shareholders but we need to um yeah we we, we should we should have a separate session on this because i think um, it'd be fun to to this do is this is a marine deep dive coming up i'm excited about that <laughs> yeah no that does sound great and you're right activists have a sort of positive connotation doing the best for the world and they're doing best for uh people who are interested in making loads of money let's move on to the next story ah right so we've got to talk about the killers of the flower moon uh the new movie that's uh, cost over 200 Million, which is uh, incredible amounts of money. Uh, it sort of raises the question about streamers and content. And uh, Claire, you have that story. Claire. Yes, it's an interesting story, I think, because Apple uh, hasn't been investing that sort of amount of money traditionally in content. But they, they have, they've just said, it's just been announced that they have spent between 200 and 250 million dollars of production costs for the new school citizen movie, which I'm seeing next weekend. I'm very excited. It's getting a lot of very positive reviews. And, but that's, that's only part of the, of the, of the budget, of course. That's the production budget. They've also spent millions more in, on marketing the movie. Um, the, this is not the only one. They're actually funding three mo movies uh, over $200 million of budget. This is The Scorsese, The Ridley Scott, Napoleon, which we will do at 
session on at some point because as a French person, I have an issue with this. And a spy thriller directed by Matthew Vaughan, was also coming, which is also coming out later. There's a very big difference. So this is the Netflix strategy. Let's spend a huge amount of money and get name talent uh, and get and put marketing around it. And, and But there is a very big difference, which is that Apple is actually quite happy to keep the theatrical window. So they are releasing all of these movies in cinemas and they are keeping, they're respecting the 40-day window. I mean, remember the times when that window was much longer, but 45 days window between release and cinema and then putting it on their platform. Uh, they're quite happy to do that. It's um, it's it it actually they feel like it's building up the heat for the release on on Apple TV. So it's a very different position from from Netflix. There is a larger question which I think is interesting on Apple. They're also raising their prices quite significantly. I think it's going to be ten dollars now per month. It started at five dollars only a couple of years ago, and then mm. there was a sort of step in between, and now it's going to be ten dollars. And in the equivalent amount in in the UK, they obviously Apple doesn't have any library content. I mean, we've just talked about Netflix licensing more and more, you know, um, old shows, and there is a reason for that. Library content keeps people happy; they come back because they want to watch Friends or The Office or whatever. Disney has tons of library content on their platform. Apple doesn't have any library content, and they're betting that people are happy to pay ten dollars a month just to see interesting new premium releases that they produce and that's that's a big bet at a point where everybody's putting more and is is hiking price up in terms of subscriptions they do have great content is it going to be enough i don't know i have you know i think a lot of people will be looking at their numbers which they don't release so it's kind of hard to look at them but looking at signs that that that, that business is continuing Great. And the stats coming out because it's already been um, released. So we're looking at 30, 30 million grossing already um, the first three days. Um, and I think we're at internationally 120 million. So this could actually be one of the biggies um, competing for the Oscars. That's the Scorsese movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. Hill of the Moon. Yeah. Did you know? So fun fact, he's 81 years old and he's still directing. And the other thing is, which I found, uh, this is the 10th time he's worked with Robert De Niro and the sixth time with Leonardo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Extraordinary. Wow. Extraordinary. Yeah, he definitely has. Yeah. Uh, I want to see what the average length of a Scorsese movie is because that's my slight problem with his movies. It's two hours very and 50, long. Uh, two hours and 50 yeah, minutes. This I one is three, uh, three hours and 26 minutes. So. How, many yeah. of them, how many of them need an interval? It's the Irishman. The Irishman yeah. was about three hours and a bit. Yes, yeah. I wonder if they're getting longer as well over time. Also, I'm trying to look up on. Oh, I'm trying to. Yeah, I try, maybe. Yeah, well, the Irishman was. This is the problem with with doing produce with streamers producing content. They don't force. They don't force. Martin Scorsese was famously forced to cut his movies down. He would have done three hours twenty minutes, um, much more often if the studios hadn't told him that he had to stop. Uh, but, you know, Netflix and Apple are like, no, fine, whatever, we're happy. So the, 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 the recent movies are much longer, I suspect, because there is less scrutiny over the, the length of the movie. Yeah, I'm just trying to work like, out whether Clint Eastwood was, uh, uh, has been an older director movie or Woody Allen. They're all ancient directors, aren't they? They are indeed. So Woody Allen's 82, 3 now as well. Yeah, they are. Um, the, 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 uh, 
the other thing is as well, is it, it really would be interesting and it wouldn't take too long to see, look, the average length of a film in the 50s, 60s, right through to the, mm. you know, to, to, to current day. I mean, I watched Le Cage Faux the other day, which I love, and it was only one hour and 20 minutes. I mean, it's crazy, you know, and that's a fantastic film, great story arc, and that's all you need. That's all you need. But, but also, anyway. if you are going to, if you if you release a movie thinking this movie is going to have a long shelf life on television, which is the case in the movies that were made in the 70s and 80s, you had to make it under two hours because that's the slot that you were given in a TV schedule for a movie. And so, you know, it was very difficult for schedulers to put movies in if they were over two hours. It was possible, but it was a hassle. And it would probably mean that it would end up at the, you know, towards the end of the program. So there were there were constraints through the system that and cinemas as well had, you know, well, first of all, there was there was an issue with cinemas, the length of film you could fit on a roll of film. And, you know, if it was longer than a certain amount, you had to have an interval and a second roll of film. But then even later, cinemas had to have a certain number of sessions per day in order to make money. And they couldn't have very, very long film. So there were a lot of constraints around the systems try and avoid or two that, that, were, that were fighting against very long movies. And most of these have been removed. And I'm not sure it's a good thing if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Well, the unconstrained artist, what will he or she do? Yeah, how far will they go? Will it end up like Wagner's Ring? Uh, Interesting fun fact, Richard Jewell, which is a film I haven't even heard of, was directed by Clint Eastwood in 2019 and he was born in 1930. So he was either 88 or 89 and still directing films. Big up Clint. Um, so there we are. I've added some value. A great story. Um, so many different business models in this world as well. Uh, uh, and all the numbers behind it makes it a fascinating thing to watch, which is what we do. Uh, final story in the news. Ah, yes, it's uh, it's a Maureen story. And yeah, what's going on uh, with music publishers suing Amazon? That story, Maureen. Ah, yes. Yes. So, you know, we we love to listen out for and we're totally engaged in everything AI and everything generative AI. And of course, we noted that Amazon invested in uh, this very wonderful and smart sort of uh, uh, gen AI company called Anthropic. Um, uh, And Anthropic has um, its own foundational model uh, called Claude. I love that name. Um, um, and uh, in order to train Claude, uh, it's now being accused of specifically, specifically training its model on lyrics. So uh, it's been it's been caught out. It's been investigated. So allegedly, allegedly, uh, the music publishers are coming out, and of course now under the ownership of Amazon, um, they're being sued for a breach of, um, let's say, copyrighted song lyrics. So this has ah. nothing to do with all the, the other things that we're discussing. It's specifically that they're using the lyrics to train the chatbot, which is Claude. So we all know ChatGPT. We all know Bard. Well, Anthropic has its own called Claude, and um, and, and and Anthropic is a is a great company, but it's now being looked at quite uh, quite quite specifically by the music publishers, and that's now going to go through the courts uh, to see whether or not there's there's a case there. So um, you know songs like you know Don McLean's American Pie and Buddy Holly songs and the like. So uh, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, this is being looked at. So watch this space for that as well, because that, that's going to be really interesting. And um, the impact on the music publishing industry is one one to note. 
Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Maureen. Um, yeah, AI and the training data you use. Whose data is that? Well, it's the person who originated it, potentially. Uh, take a long time to um, uh, train if you're going to use the lyrics to uh, American Pie, a song which famously goes on and on and on and on and, and goes nowhere. Uh, sorry, Don McLean. I'm sure he's listening. Uh, that is the end. Thank you so much. It was a it was a brilliant one, uh, and that was in the news. Okay, let's crack on, and we all know what comes next. We've got a few things to talk about in the Podmoji round, uh, so uh, let's have a look at the props I will describe for the uh, listener uh, who cannot see. Uh, we've got a few things. We've got a toy soldier, and I've got a feeling that Claire knows where she's going to use that for some reason. The penguins come back, which is awesome, and we've got a, 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 a thing that is in fact a dog, but looked a little bit like a bottom to me, and I got uh, summarily told off uh, by both Claire and Maureen for being so... Um, for being so rude, and I said, "Well, you're you're the one showing us the naughty with eyes before. Yeah, yeah, bottom. and a whistle. It's not a bottom, <laughs> and a whistle. And Maureen has a whistle as well, which no doubt we'll be hearing from. It's almost as if they've planned this. Let's move on. Okay, I'm going to start with Maureen, who's putting on some very cool 1950s Audrey Hepburn esque. Uh, um, sunglasses uh, that is not the Aubrey Hepburn oh yeah the Aubrey Hepburn from My Fair Lady but after she's been transformed from the flower lady there we go looks great actually uh, and uh, let's start with you Maureen please concentrate uh, the Daily Mail TikTok sensation oh that that's uh, that's that's hilarious if only I could do an impression of Boris Johnson but I, my understanding is that was quite good that was very good, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't trump that. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, yeah, so, 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 so they've managed to get various uh, folks. Um, uh, Boris Johnson, who's a TikTok sensation. Um, so Daily Mail, whose readership is very much was Middle England, is doing some fantastic things and is now becoming a sort of TikTok story. But, uh, um, yeah, so mine is... Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Claire? Yeah, I'm going to go with the soldier on this one. Here we the go. Daily Mail, I mean, not my favourite uh, not my favorite publication. Let's put it that way. But you have to give them credit. They have always been very much about embracing new ways of expanding their audience. I mean, they were the ones, they, they created the concept of a really successful newspaper website. They created the, fi the famous sidebar of shame, as it's now known, uh, where, you know, when you work, go on, the, on their website, you get sucked into clicking on horrible pictures of people. And there's a whole, I talked to somebody who was working for them on that sidebar, there's a whole strategy on making those as thick as possible and that worked incredibly well they they immediately went into so you know facebook twitter etc and they've now gone into tiktok and done it really successfully now it's it's kind of you know it'd be even better if that content was good but i you they have to give it to them they are they are really good at that kind of stuff they've got a very good digital strategy yeah you wouldn't have put uh, daily mail and tiktok together yeah you've, you've got to sort of take your hat off to them regardless of the content of their message but yeah okay let's move on uh, i'm going to stay with you claire hawaii versus iphone Ooh, interesting 
Yes, uh, iPhone 15 not selling in China quite as much as iPhone or Apple wanted to, so numbers dropping there. And in parallel, um, Chinese phones, Huawei and others, really picking up. And what's happened in the past is that Chinese phone manufacturers were being hampered by the fact that they had to buy microprocessors outside of China to make their phones. And now they're making them inside China. So the most recent phones, which are really apparently technologically hugely advanced, are entirely made in China, which is which means that there are no limits now as to how fast and how much they can produce them. And they are being they are very, very popular. Now the Americans aren't very happy about this and this aspect has been well, there are, they, they would like to think that there might have been foul play in terms of how quickly the Chinese man, man, managed to create some capacity. But I don't know. I'm going to go with the dog that looks like a bottom thing. You know, maybe bottom they're just dog. really good at what they do. Yeah, it's a, that's right. It's a, it's a sort of American reaction, isn't it? Oh, right. Okay, they've got ahead of us. They must be cheating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Maureen, over I mean, to you. They might have, but also maybe not. Well, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so, more you like, playing the whistle, but I didn't hear it. No, no, because it would be too loud and it would blow your eardrums. So, oh, okay. I pretend to oh, blow the whistle at the moment. Oh, you're miming. Right. You, you've uh, removed but, the pee. Uh, in the basis of the, the, the referee, the referee in between uh, uh, China and the US. So, oh, that's yeah, brilliant. Uh, as always, I mean, the big, the big, uh, the, 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 big um, the big trade partners, or not, as we now know, although... Mr. Cook did go across to China just to sort of try to sort things out. That's what I had understood. So, yeah, there'll always be there'll always be the embattled kind of China-U.S. relations or poor relations, and um, I think us as consumers benefit from it. Yeah, exactly. As long as they get cool tech, who cares? Um, yeah. My brother's got one of those um, fold-down phones. Absolutely unbelievable technology. It's brilliant. Okay, mm. so Maureen, staying with you. Um, oh yes, could Disney gobble up Nintendo? Shocker. Yeah, um, I don't see the strategic rationale, so um, I'm a little not sure. Oh, thumbs down. I, not even, not even wondering. Actually, thumbs down. You're putting, you're sticking your neck out and saying, "Nah, excellent." Well, let's see if that, nah. let's see if that happens. Nah, uh, Claire. Well, yeah, I think it could happen. I don't know that Disney would be... I mean, I think it would give Bob Iger an interesting headline, but I'm not sure it's a good fit. I agree with Maureen. There's been another rumour, so I'm going with a with a tangent. don't know what how to do that on the pot emoji, to be honest. I don't have the props. But I, uh, I, I'm going... There's, all, there's been a counter-rumour that says that Apple should buy Nintendo. I mean, obviously, Microsoft just finished their big acquisition of gaming, and so the question is, should Apple buy Nintendo? You know, we were talking about Apple buying Disney a few weeks ago. Who knows? The, the idea is Nintendo is probably up for sale. They're a very big player. They have a lot of interesting IP. Who could do something interesting with that IP? I'm going with the I'm not sure emoji. Because it's not just a case, is it, of um, a, a company buying another company that is making money, so it just increases its portfolio. There's got to be some sort of, uh, I hate the word synergy because I'm a management consultant, but there's got to be some reason why the expertise of one 
you know, uh, yeah, well, Nintendo has a lot of interesting animation adjacent properties, right? A lot of the Nintendo games are based on animation, on animated characters who have had a life outside of the game. So I think that's the logic behind Disney. Uh, uh, buying Nintendo and taking some of these characters and, and using them on on their you know their machine that we were talking about earlier of consumer products etc. So that's one angle. The other angle is thinking Apple could do with some content on the game strategy. They have Arcade, which is a games portal. Uh, they may want to put the Nintendo titles on there. I don't know. It, I, to be honest with you, the Disney the connection makes more sense to me than the Apple one from a content perspective. But I think the Apple connection makes more sense from a technology perspective. So I don't know. The hence the Podmoji, the I don't know Podmoji. Yeah, I don't know Podmoji. And I, I think your and Claire, I think your point about it gives a headline. You know, because as as, as we've been discussing, Bob Iger's got to sort out strategically and organizationally and structuring the business for the next 20 years and he's not really doing that at a pace that the shareholders the board or others uh, are happy with so uh, it's a it, one it would be a distraction two they're already highly levered from the acquisition of of fox studios so uh you know it would mean that they would sell a part of the business maybe to fund this new avenue so of course a big discussion could be what about espn but then you think mm, the espn is gaming <laughs> or games or sports so it's it's mm. an interesting one but so i think i think it'd be distraction for them uh, at this moment i don't know if they get sign off but it would be a major deal that could occupy them for the next three to five years from an integration and three of those would be probably mm, going through some sort of um let's say regulatory maybe not regulatory probably yeah it wouldn't wouldn't be regulatory yeah just maybe u.s um competitions authority kind of like processes so it'd be a big big distraction big distraction hmm uh, well, one to keep an eye on, which we've got, we've got plenty of. Uh, thanks for that. And staying with Claire. Oh, I love this one. Uh, I don't know much about basketball, but um, the NBA Gen AI, um, is it replacing journalists? Ah, maybe not. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, the new Gen AI, propos- Gen AI proposition, which is making sense of billions of statistics in real time in, in the NBA. I think that's the I think that's the Podmoji subject, Claire. The NBA uh, story is that you can use Gen AI to augment the work of the journalist rather than to replace it and to give it to give it more context and to use data in a positive way that can that can help journalists build interesting narratives, which is a feature of the sports world for and has been for very very long. You know, look at Nate Silver and his work on stats, etc. You can create narratives from data in sports in a beautiful way in other topics too but certainly in sports so i don't know they i i feel like i should i should lead with a really specific basketball oh i know i know nothing but net that's that's a basketball thing right yeah it it doesn't hit the rim right i thought you were gonna say slam dunk (laughs) oh that also works during my my, as my netball coaching and my netball referee. Of course, yes. uh, Many, many, many of the netball teams call it nothing but the net. 
for uh, as their as their team names. Um, but uh, and the oh. basketball. Oh yeah, basketball well that makes sense. Do it with the the, the, the backboard or the, or the dunking, dunking, yeah. slam dunk. Yeah, yeah. But I love this one. I'm a big I'm a big fan of this one for the NBA because. They're doing great stuff. So I love the idea that they're going to be using Gen AI for the night game. So basically they have 20 games on one night and you have these poor souls who are supposed to be, so, so 10 major games, uh, 20 teams. And these poor souls have to be sitting there making sure they have all the stats for every single player and every single game. And it's humanly impossible to do it. <laughs> so generative AI, or AI is going to be used specifically to help them produce all of the stats for those games so and we're told we're told that uh they will not necessarily need to lay off a single person this is all additive so i'm a big thumbs up for this one i love it i think it's a really good use and use case for generative ai in sports and it will make sure that those people i mean i, I when i teach when actually when i when i also do the basketball thing if you if you're doing the scoring uh, the table, it's called the table, is it a nightmare just for one game? The speed at which everyone runs up and down and the fails and the this and the that, you know, it's, an, it's, it's amazingly difficult. And so if you have to commentate on that and create the stats, this is a lifesaver. This is an absolute lifesaver for the game. <laughs> What's brilliant about it, of course, is it's using using technology to do something that's, in your words, more humanly impossible. So by definition, it's not going to get rid of humans because it's humanly impossible to do it. It's just going to augment human well we say augment human decision making in business but in this case it's it's augmenting the um the experience of the sports fan um what a marvelous use case uh congrats for digging that out um ah the next one and we will stay with maureen um the telegraph comma for sale question mark yes it's it's, it's, it's what they call in the trade on the block and it's been on the block for a little while uh, and uh for, for a number of reasons we we highlighted in a couple of podcasts ago, uh, it's it's more about who's going to buy it. So when it's when it's newspaper related, the UK gets all very sort of um, upset and 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 it's all very difficult because we don't actually want uh, our uh, news media to be in the hands of the wrong folks, so to speak. So there's um, there's going to be definitely a, attention being given to who will ultimately buy this. Um, it's being sold by Lloyds Bank because it went into, uh, without complicating things, um, uh, in the control of the banks because they hadn't paid their 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 uh, their interest payments. Um, so um, so um, so we think that of course the likely suspects um, or the usual suspects, I should say, are going to be you know maybe the owners of Johnston Press. It's going to be um, the Daily the Daily Mail Group. Um, but also it's starting to attract sort of philanthropists. And one in particular that is rearing its head is someone who owns about 30% of West Ham United football team, um, a name that is really just not very pronounceable. So I, I, I apologise that if I absolutely slaughter this, I, he's a Czech billionaire and he's called Daniel Kvistinsky. So all those football supporters out there will probably know better than me. Um, but they actually, he's also been um, touted as potentially someone who could be interested. Don't forget, we've also got the News, news Corps. Um, and then we've got the international European in particular um, uh, media groups that also may uh, be interested. 
But this is going to be sort of quite a long drawn out process, one thinks, because of the regulatory implications uh, and also because it's an, an asset, a news asset, who will own it? So there's there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of discussions, a lot of uh, a lot of pointing at to make sure that you know it's legitimate people that come and take our our news platforms. But it's a it's news and and it's not just a Telegraph, it's a Telegraph and it's a Spectator as well. So it's the it's 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 both um, uh, media properties. And it's interesting because when we first talked about this a, a few years a few months ago, uh, there where we were struggling to come up with candidates that might be interested and actually it looks like it's going to be a pretty competitive bidding process so yeah. if i had a put emoji yeah. i would be ooh, exciting eating the popcorn watching that would be me interestingly if, if uh, the daily mail um bought the telegraph they would go over 50 percent of daily newspaper circulation which would be an issue they're daily mail is already scarily almost at 50 percent if they bought the telegraph which is not very big it would push them over which would be an issue from a competition perspective doesn't mean they couldn't do it but it's something to keep in mind and it goes back to also the definition of what is the market and of course as we know in france the whole big discussion about tf1 and m6 it's about Mm -hmm. you know is this now digital and are you competing with a wider set of players rather than just circulation which of course is dwindling so, um, you know, people might say, well, actually, the advertising platform is broader and it's got digital. Um, but I, I think also for digital, for Telegraph, it's outsourced, isn't it, to the company Ozone? Yeah. But um, yeah, 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 it's a complicated one. It is a complicated one. Oh, another one to keep our eyes on. So we will. Thank you very much for explaining that. So staying with you, Claire. Ah, finally, a heartbreak for all of us. Well, me and you, certainly. Uh, the rugby. And it's a soldier upside down, a fallen soldier, representing the poor French team who heroically bowed out of the quarterfinal stage in their own tournament uh, in a, a, a half of the draw, which was so difficult to get out of. It was almost laughable, uh, causing England to be within one point of making the final, which I think might have made Claire's head explode. Well, yes, it would have. I mean, you know, ultimately, I think I would have been happy, obviously, if, if England had gone through because I, you know, Northern Hemisphere is trying to think of a reason. Blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, um, well, the, you know, slight, a slightly painful. Um, it would have been even more painful. Yeah, it's just, you know, this is not media related, but those those groups where I don't know who made, I mean, I know exactly what happened. They made them when the rank, the two years ago when the rankings were very different, but that table just made no sense at all. Although to some extent, we're ending up with a final that's between probably the two biggest teams in the world. So it's probably not that bad in the end, but, the, but I think France might've gone through with a slightly different draw. So yeah. It was the it, it could have been their years, and it wasn't, and I'm quite sad about it. There you go. It's yeah, just so agonizing in sport when it could have been yours. Uh, I'm still mourning over you. It was and so close. I mean, it yeah, was so exactly. close for England as well. I couldn't watch the England game because I was just recovering from the French one. But uh, so I just read about it. But the French one was oh my god. 
Yes, quite painful. No, it's it's horrible because <laughs> losing to South Africa wasn't so bad for England because we knew we were lucky to be in the semi as it was, and we got close. So it was heroic, and our you know we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, you lose, almost won. You got and really we almost close. Won. Yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, uh, but when it's your tournament, your time, you've probably got the best team. You've certainly got the best player. Yeah, I I, I, I do sympathise. Clay must be absolutely horrible. Um, Maureen. Remember, we <laughs> both played part in this no game. <laughs> Exclamation mark! I didn't know. I, was, I didn't know. I was participating in this. Here we go. It's Podmoji. We've done it for. We, we've done it for. We've done it for over a year, and you didn't know you were taking part. Oh. In it. Anyway, the exclamation mark. Sports in the rugby. I can, I can talk about. There's my exclamation mark. There we go. Podmoji. Exclamation no, mark. Everybody. Everybody no takes part what, in Podmoji. I've no idea what you're talking about in terms of rugby. There's my um, exclamation <laughs> right. mark. Uh, I'm trying yeah, to think of a netball true. equivalent. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, okay. I, 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 I don't know anything about rugby. <laughs> I think uh, maybe a question mark would have been better, but it's very difficult to create a question mark with a biro and a fist, uh, which was a sentence I didn't expect to say today, uh, to be honest with you. I think we'd better finish. We're getting silly. Uh, it's late in the day and Maureen's off on holiday, so we're getting silly now. So uh, we, we better we better cut it. Well, not sure because we've, gosh, we've done the, we've done the time as ever. Um, I uh, loved the deep dive, an absolute classic. News was great as well, and the pop emoji was good uh, as well. So um, one thing I forgot to say was that if there's any deep dive that you're interested in having, um, let us know. We are on, would you believe we're on LinkedIn? We're on the internet. Who'd, who'd have thought it? And we've even got a better URL now, uh, which is uh, www.linkedin.com slash company slash the Media Beat podcast with hyphens in between all those words the media beat podcast on linkedin probably the best way to get hold of us or you could just uh, use the search bar for the media beat and we will um, we've got quite a, a big roster of deep dives to complete but we always love to hear from our listeners uh, so do uh, get in touch but in the meantime i will say Goodbye, and again, um, uh, deepest commiserations for the uh, heroic failure of the French rugby team. To Claire. Thank you, Oliver, and same to you. Bless you. And also, uh, I know you don't care, so never mind. But have a lovely holiday, Maureen. See you on the flip side. Goodbye, and thank you for today. Thank you very much, Oliver. And as usual, uh, take care till the next time, and we'll see you then. Goodbye for now.